Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking to writer, director, actor, so much more, Bill Duke, who has a new memoir out called Bill Duke, My 40-Year Career on Screen and Behind the Camera. I definitely recommend it. It is a phenomenal book, well worth your time and worth your dollars. So go ahead, check out that book and enjoy this interview. I'm very curious about your memoir, Why Now? Why did you decide to write that now? I had my 75th birthday. And uh, a couple of years ago, I just decided that, you know, I wanted to leave some kind of legacy for myself and my family. And instead of assuming I'll be here another 75 years, <laughs> I wanted to uh, just, you know, put something on paper. So it took me a couple of years to really, you know, get it down and to go through it and to edit it with my editor. And it took some time, but um, it was a time where, you know, after, after 70 years old, you know, you kind of like say, okay. What do you want to leave? Well, you do have a legacy insofar as the uh, Bill Duke Foundation. I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, the Duke Media Foundation is something I started several years ago. What we teach are two things to young people who are trying to get into the industry, and they're high school students from the age of 14 to 18, and we teach them uh, media literacy, which is the transition or the paradigm shift from film and television to media. And by media, we mean, you know, um, virtual reality, augmented reality, cell phone apps, Hulu, Crackle, Amazon, Netflix. It's a whole new paradigm shift in the industry. And a lot of young people coming in have passion, but they don't understand how the business has changed and is changing. The second thing we teach is financial literacy because we're taught how to spend dollars, but not how to use money. And so we teach... Um, What is the stock market? What is Wall Street? What is the FDA? What is the Federal Reserve? What is compound interest? What is debt? What is credit? You know, what is a bank? Those kinds of things so that they can really understand the use of money, not just the spending of money. So I wish I had had those lessons when I came in. I learned it the hard way, but we try to be an intervention and we don't charge any money and the parents bring them and we require a parent to be involved in order for the child to be part of what we're doing. So that's the foundation. When you get into a character, what is your way of getting into that particular character? I wish acting, the word acting was not used to describe what we do as a profession because we're not acting, we're being. So what happens for me, and this is just my technique, I memorize the lines and I study the, not only the character, but the context of the character. I talk to the director about he or she, what he or she expects or wants to see with their vision of the film, the scene, and my character. And after all of that mental work, there's a thing called surrender. And that's the hardest part because you have to let the intellect go, which is driven by the ego, to let that go. 
and surrender to the moment because you're in a scene with another person and you have to respond not only to the words, but the feeling to the, it responds to what is meant by what that person is saying. And the only way you can do that is to listen. And so when I work, I surrender, I surrender to something I can't describe. It is an energy or whatever you want to call it. But it's based on the work I've done in terms of studying the character, who is his family, what does he do for a living, you know, everything. And then after that information is digested, surrendering to the energy of that person you created and the author has created. I don't know if people these days necessarily remember the huge impact that a film like Car Wash had. And I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about that role and working with just that incredible ensemble cast? It was wonderful. You know, I played the role of Abdullah. Um, and it's interesting because I was that angry young black man at one point, you know, dealing with racism in America, dealing with classism in America, dealing with brutality. I understood that character on a very deep level. The great Michael Schultz directed it, still directing. He's a wonderful director and a wonderful person. And so I was in it with Antonio Faison and George Carlin and... Richard Pryor and the Pointer Sisters and the great Ivan Dixon and Danny DeVito owned the, uh, the coffee shop next door. And just working with that group of people was, it was not only um, wonderful to do, but it was educational. And watching how they worked and the way they approached their roles, et cetera, you know. So it, it was one of the, still is one of the peak moments of my career Particularly, it was an ensemble also, and that made it even better. We just all worked together, you know, and it was fun, and I think uh, people got it, and people still like the film to this day. It must have been interesting working with two of the top comedians at the time, working with George Carlin and Richard Pryor, and I can't imagine that they had similar approaches to how they came to the material. George Carlin, he was just a committed actor. I don't know if people know this. He was a good actor, and he took the craft seriously. So he didn't tell jokes or anything. He, when he was that cab driver that drove her to the car wash, he was that person. And so it was great to see him do that work. Richard Pryor, <laughs> Richard Pryor is funny on and off the screen. He's just he's hilarious. He makes fun of people and makes fun of himself also. And he was it was a privilege working with him. I mean, he was just great, funny brilliant, insightful, and relevant. What brought about the decision to go to the AFI and learn directing? Well, to be honest with you, you know, I always was interested in directing film, but I was always intimidated by the equipment. I directed stage plays. I wrote my own plays, and I directed my own plays in New York and directed some out here in L.A., but I was intimidated by the equipment and everything because you don't have to deal with that on stage. You know, you deal with lights and blocking, but not cameras and take one and act, you know, don't to do that. So I just left it alone and I just focused on my acting career. And I'd been on a show called Palmerstown USA a couple of seasons. In those days, they had TVQ. That meant you're on a TV show, you were overexposed. And so it was hard to get work after that. So I didn't work for two years. And I said, you know something, Bill, you better rethink things about your career, not only acting, because you're a black man in Hollywood, but you better check out whatever else you can do. So I applied to the American Film Institute. I got in, made a film called The Hero, which got a couple of mentions and awards, and shopped it around to every studio that I could 
And they said, no, we'll give you the second film, second thing, but not your first. We don't want to take a chance. I got depressed, I think, as you saw in my book, I went away to a meditation retreat because I've been doing transcendental meditation for like almost 50 years now. And I was in my, going my second week in the, on the retreat, and my agent called me and said that David Jacobs over at Knox Landing wanted to see me. I said, oh, my God. And that Monday, I was in David Jacobs' office. We had a conversation. And a week after that, my agent called me and said, they want you to direct an episode of Knox Landing. I told everybody in the world that I knew, I was celebrating and everything. And so I went to pre-production and my last day of pre-production, the line producer, I think it was Joel Wallenstein, came in and said, Bill, we knew you were going to be great, did a great pre-production, but we knew you were going to be great based upon your reel. And I said, what? He said, well, the reel that you gave to David. I said, no, I just got an AF. He said, wait a minute. He went to David Jacobs' office. David Jacobs had mixed my box up with somebody else's. That's how I got my first job. What was that like directing television in the early 80s? It seems like a, a real tense experience to go really out of the frying pan and into the fire with that as your first directing gig. Television, it is the greatest training ground. Everybody, that, the directors that, that worked regularly on the holidays, they took off. And those are the days I worked. And so um, I just filled in the gaps. You get seven days to prep and seven days to shoot. That's it. And you're talking about our episodes. It's and then you have to watch every episode you can to see the style of the show. And then you got to meet the actors and so on. So it's, it's in seven days of prep, you have to do a lot. And then no matter what the shooting schedule is, you got to come in on time and on budget. So it was a great learning experience. And I feel I'm grateful today to David Jacobs and everybody because they really supported me. And I did Dallas with Larry Hagman, you know, it was you know, I, I met a lot of good people that supported me throughout the time I was doing, I was starting. Is it true that you wrote an episode of Good Times? Yes. Esther Roll, I knew her as an actress, and my uh, friend um, Walter Smith and I uh, wrote an episode for them. And that was my first writing experience uh, for TV. Were you on the Rudy Ray Moore concert film Rude? No, I don't think so. What, what, what was is it? The movie? Yeah, yeah, it was from 1982. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rudy Ray Moore, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was, well, they <laughs> they gave me the credit of assistant director, but to be very truthful, to be honest with you about it, um, I was an, I was, I was a, like an intern assistant, and we shot in a really poor neighborhood in L.A., there used to be homeless people that used to ask the crew and cast for money. And if they didn't get the money, they used to go in the alleyway and where the, the lights were plugged into this generator and they'd unplug the lights from the generator because they were, they were angry that they didn't, we didn't give them, they didn't give money. My job was to sit near the generator and the plugs in the, in the cat urine and feces from dogs and stuff to stop the homeless people from unplugging the, gen the generator. So I guess I'm going to call that an assistant director, but uh, that was what I did. What a thankless but yet entirely valuable position yeah. that was. <laughs> it was educational, put it that way. Moving ahead a few years, can you tell me how you got involved with the film Commando? Well, I went in and I auditioned for Joe Silver, and uh, then after that he introduced me to Arnold. They liked what I did, and um, it was really that simple, you know. And then when Predator came along, Joel said, I want you to talk to Arnold again. I went in, and Arnold said, let's do it, and that's how that happened. 
I've talked to a few people that have worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and one of the things that always seems to come up is that he is famous for pranks. Do you remember any pranks that happened during Commando or Predator? Arnold was amazing, you know. I'll be called a prank or not, but he, I don't know if you know it or not, but we were in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico in a hotel, and Arnold bought out, I think it was two ballrooms, and had tractor and trailer shipped from Los Angeles workout equipment. It's talking about treadmill. And machines, dead weight, everything. We had to be on the set at 7 in the morning. Arnold and his trainer, Sven, had to be up at 4 o'clock. And they would take me and the rest of the cast on a run for two or three miles, come back to the gym and work out in the gym for another hour, go to eat breakfast, and then ride to the set. If you didn't do it... You were called a wussy. I did it five times, and they called me wussy the rest of the time because it was, when I say brutal, can you imagine? And then going to work, they did it every day. What was the atmosphere like on those movies? I mean, you had so many uber-macho guys all in the same place. Well, on Predator, it became a brotherhood because we were in the middle of the jungle. When I say middle, I mean, we had to drive almost 45 minutes to the set up this mountainous hill, no guardrails or anything on the side. And you get up on the top and they had, you know, dressing rooms for us. And one of the funny things that happened, the caterer put netting around the entire counter, lunch counter and breakfast counter. But um, whenever we sit down to eat our food, there were bugs in the food because we were in the middle of the jungle. He couldn't keep the, the bugs from getting into our food. The first week, we said, take this back. We're not going to eat it. But by the second week, there was no more food. So the bugs are called protein. <laughs> That's what we had to eat. With that role of Mac, I've always been curious, where did the idea of the safety razor come from? You out in the middle of the jungle shaving. They told us to come up with ideas in terms of, you know, you're going into this. And John McTiernan is one of the finest directors I've ever worked with. I mean, he's an incredible storyteller, you know, and with the camera, he's, 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 I think he's a genius. And he wanted us all to come up with something, you know, like Jesse Ventura chewed, he did the chewing tobacco, you know what I mean? Other people, you know, just showed their nervousness. And he asked me, and I, so I chose the razor, you know, as we're landing, there's so much stress, it broke, you know, just, and so, but it was basically John saying, you know, how do you guys feel now? You're going into a situation where you all may die. You're, you're macho and heroic, but what is the true feeling? How can you express it? And that was my choice. Kind of going back to Commando for a second, how long did it take you to film that uh, fight that you had with Arnold that goes through the, uh, the two different hotel rooms? We rehearsed it for a couple of days. I mean, like three or four hours each day. And when he and I felt comfortable with it, um, John, I mean, the director said, okay, cool. Let's do it, you know, but, um, you know, and then there were stuntmen involved, too. So we did what we did. And then for the big falls, the, the stunt guys fell before us. And then we fell into the frame, you know. So it, it was very well coordinated. I forgot who the stunt coordinator was, but he was great. He really took the time and patience to let us, you know, feel comfortable. You know, he didn't just throw us into it, you know. I've always been curious. The, the history of the film Payback is a very fascinating story as far as the different versions that are out there. And... Did you have to come back for research or anything, or was your part pretty much locked after you did it? It was pretty much locked. 
it was, I mean, working with Mel and the other guys was great, man. You know, it was like, uh, it was fun. Once they finished with me, they just, you know, I was finished, you know. What was your thing? You wanted to have a boat payment? Is that right? It was like, you know, I was, you know, a crooked cop. You did something and uh, I could arrest you or you could not be arrested. But if you didn't get arrested, you had to pay a price. And uh, um, I, I loved fishing and boats and all that money went to my boat and he messed up my boat payment. How did you make the move from directing television into directing feature films? My really first feature feature film was a Harvey um, Weinstein film called The Rage in Harlem, I think. Forrest Whitaker, Gregory Hines, wonderful human being, the actress Robin Gibbons. I did um, another film for PBS, which is a feature film called The Killing Floor. That was the, the first major feature I ever did, but it was for PBS. It wasn't, you know, for the theaters. But after that, Rage in Harlem. That was a great experience working with those people. Were you a fan of Chester Himes before you took that project? Great writer, man. Ahead of his time, you know? And not and not truly recognized, in, I think, until this day enough, you know? I just felt bad because he should be recognized for all the books he wrote and, and how brilliant a writer he was and insightful. And also, you know, he wasn't overtly political, but he gave you insight into things, you know, through his writing, you know? It was really nice to see you show up in Mandy when I was watching that the other day. That was uh, a small but critical role. I loved it. Thank you very much. I, I enjoyed working with Nicholas Cage is great people, man. We were, had a, we were in Brussels, Belgium. We had a great time. Brussels, man, you can gain a lot of weight in Brussels. The food is delicious, and it's a beautiful city. It's a really a beautiful city, and we had a good time. And um, Nicholas is very gracious, you know, and it, 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 was, it was really good. It was good. And Paolo, the director, is a great guy, man. He's really good people. Did I just read today that you are doing a role in Black Lightning? Yes, I, my, I, I did uh, a three-part series. I mean, I'm in three episodes. They just called me to do a fourth one sometime in late November. And my first one was last night. I play Inspector Odell, who is, there's something fishy going on, and I'm sent out to find out what it is. Everybody starts lying to me, and I discover that they're lying, and uh, I have to determine the consequences. And so... It's been a three-part series, and I'm going to go back late November to do some more, I think. Now, are you still going back and forth between directing and acting? Yes. I was very, been very fortunate this year, of course, to do Mandy and um, then to do, you know, three episodes of Black Lightning. Um, and also, fascinating experience. I think it comes out the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Um, I worked in a film with Steven Soddenberg called High Flying Bird, and it's about the politics of basketball. And what was fascinating about that experience, man, he shot the entire film with four iPhone 8s. There was no real lighting crew. We had a couple of lights at nighttime shots, but, you know, he used mostly available lights. And, and, and when they did the dolly shots, they rolled them around in the wheelchair. There was no dolly track. He would, he would go have dinner, right, and then edit the footage that he shot that day in the evening. He was the DP, the director, and the producer. I mean, just to observe it, man, was it, 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 it was it was really fascinating, man. Really, really amazing. It seems like you're pretty uh, active on social media these days. My book is coming out. Bill Duke, forty years in front of him behind the camera, and then so I have a couple of publicists I'm working with, and they're getting the word out in the book. And I'm also 
developing a film, a documentary called Never Stop about adoption and foster care in this country. And so we've been promoting it and trying to raise funds for the movie and those kinds of things. And I've I've just been, I I love what I do. I don't want to stop working, you know. I, I think when you retire, everything retires, you know. Keep on keeping on. You are doing fantastic work, and I am so glad that we were able to connect. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it, and thank you so much um, for having me on. And let folks know about my book. They can, you know, it's, they can pre-order it on Amazon, or it comes out on the 15th of November. And it talks about my life, you know, and um, not only my life, but also I try to give some. And thank you for reading it, by the way. I appreciate that. I try my best to give some insight to young people in terms of survival in this industry. Well, I have to tell you that I really enjoy the way that you go from prose to poetry. And it's one of those things. There was a, uh, another actor who put out a autobiography last year. I think it was Anthony James, who just always played the heavy, the slime ball, all these kind of things. I'm not saying that you are a slime ball, but you do tend (laughs) to play the heavy often. And to see, to pull back the covers and just see what a wonderful soul you are was so enlightening. Thank you so much for your for your book and for your work. Well, first of all, God bless you for that. I appreciate it, man. I'm trying my best, and thank you for your recognition and supporting me. I really mean this. I really appreciate it. Sincerely. Bill Duke, thank you again, and I look forward, hopefully we can do this again sometime. All the best, and thank you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.